0: Welcome to the final episode of Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I am your last host, Michael Lilienthal, and this is my last guest, Ethan Bartlett, and we're going to talk for the last time about books, and for the last time, not about Scotch. This is the end. We're all going to die.
1: Uh, this, seems, this seems like a pretty bold choice. Um, <laughs> and I'm not sure I'm comfortable with the energy you're bringing into this podcast. Uh, especially because we like have another recording planned for Saturday, and today's Tuesday.
0: Well, I if if we live that long, I'm in.
1: Well, okay, but like, what what do you know that makes you not sure about that?
0: If If I told you, Ethan, it would either depress you or make you think I'm crazy, or both. Alright,
1: we need to, like, go back and restart the episode, because, like, I'm now formulating a lot of plans that aren't good for either of us. (laughs) Like, some of them Uh... involve me driving to where you are, and, like... Like pinning you to a wall and asking you where the real Michael is, or whether there ever has been a real Michael, you know, stuff like that.
0: Uh, that's the question, isn't it? Well, I'm. Just, has there has there ever been a real Michael? I'm starting. We'll never know. To
1: assume that this is like your revenge for uh, me questioning whether there was a real Ethan at the beginning of the last episode. Like that was so cool that you, you know, had to get in on the action. Or maybe that's just a comforting myth I'm telling myself to uh, sort of assuage my fears that you know anything real.
0: Yep, well, you just... Some things are better left a mystery. Well, okay. But our scotch is not a mystery, because... We're going to be drinking the Glenrothes twelve-year-old space single malt Scotch whiskey, matured only in sherry-seasoned oak casks and bottled at natural color. As we've been drinking for the last three weeks or more, or we are continuing to drink
1: weeks?
0: six weeks, so many many weeks. Yeah, yeah. I guess we've been it's drinking been a lot of for weeks. Re-
1: we both got one of those like giant bottles of it that like. uh Leonardo DiCaprio has in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, we've really just been mainlining it for like two months now, I think. Uh, mm. Which is like pretty much a miracle that we're then talking even this coherently. Um, so that's cool.
0: Kind of true. Yeah, I mean we we've we've adapted. Essentially. Yeah, our bodies
1: now breathe scotch rather than air, but.
0: Right, right. It's... If if we were without it, we would die. So...
2: Yeah, um, which is
1: starting to sound like alcoholism. So, like, between the apocalypse and alcoholism, <laughs> this is a real bad beginning to a show.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why we have your wife to save us and to give us the rules that also give us life and encourage everyone to be safe and responsible. So, you should you should have her come and give us those life-saving rules.
1: Um, first, can we go behind the magic and have you explain how uh the Glenrothes was like speaking of mystery or something?
0: It was it was it's it's not a mystery.
1: But like how does the, That's what I said. Like there's what why would anyone think that it was a mystery?
0: Because there are other myth- mysteries. Oh right. okay. I was saying this is this is not a mystery. like there are other mysteries, but this one's not a mystery.
1: right. what what could I have been thinking? Um, right? <laughs> on that note, Karen, please read the the rules which also aren't a mystery.
2: Rule 1: once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule 2. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so, because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number 6. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number 7. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses then everyone loses
1: and what happens if someone breaks the rules
2: if one person breaks a rule they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule all that being said everyone drink responsibly
0: yeah ethan yeah michael gentle 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 listener. listener
1: thank you Karen.
0: Much appreciated. And with that, we will pour our drinks and clink our glasses, and then the rules come into effect, and the podcast also begins.
1: Oh. That actually makes me feel a lot better about this introduction, because, like, I was scared of our listeners hearing it, but if the podcast hasn't begun yet, like, then it doesn't matter, does it?
0: Keep telling yourself that. And also... What does really matter? Wow, That's my toast. Well, (laughs) here's mud in your eye, I guess. (laughs) Now, Ethan, I want to talk about two specific things in this episode, and I want to make sure that we cover both of those specific things before I let you do what you want. Wait. But the danger is, in talking about these two specific things, I'm going to be asking you questions, and therefore you will have the reins for a while with which to completely derail my thoughts. So, what I'm saying is we're going to have a normal episode of this podcast. Okay,
1: well, when you said covering two specific things before I got to do what I wanted, I was assuming you meant me putting my pants back on,
0: but I'm glad that's not what we're, <laughs> what we're actually saying here. I mean, this is an audio medium. And so, whether or not you have your pants on, in actuality, while recording, the listener will be picturing you completely naked. I mean, I assume so, that's
1: what they all are doing because they've all been to speech class and they know that any time anyone is speaking, they should be picturing them naked. Like that's that's, that's exactly, like the first thing you learn exactly. on the first day of speech class.
0: Whenever someone's speaking, imagine exactly. them naked. It helps to make them
1: comfortable. Yes, that's we both we both were super good at paying attention in speech class
0: (laughs) yes all right so the first thing i want to talk about and this is more the one that i want to kind of get out of the way so that it leads into more of um subsection b of what i I want to talk about about for the next word of number one probably probably um what i want to talk about is uh in this book, Shotgun Love Songs by Nicholas Butler, which is the book we're discussing. In case you didn't read the title of the episode that you're listening to, gentle listener, I did read it. And the Ethan, um, <laughs> um, there is in this book reading group uh, questions.
1: I yeah, there are.
0: And we have a, a tradition uh, on this podcast of examining those questions. When they are made available yes. in the text of the book, uh, I, I don't think we need to do all of them. And historically, we have not done all the questions in the the reading group guide. Um, but I, I want to hit a few of them here. And since Ethan, you don't have a physical copy of your book in front of you, uh, I will yeah. be asking the questions.
1: That's a that's actually a really <laughs> that's probably a fair oh, way so. to go through reading group questions than any reading group questions we've done so far in the history of this show. Because, like, I don't...
2: Sure, sure. I was just going to say, I don't remember... Uh, I
1: I remember reading them, I just don't remember what any of them are, so I will be reacting to whether they are stupid or not in a pretty sort of real-time, honest mode, at least hopefully.
0: Well, we do we do want to give our listeners authentic reactions to things so um we 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 want that that that's that's our brand exactly yeah right
2: authentic Authentic everything everything. authentic
0: yeah so uh question number one in the reading group questions question number one i'm going to start with that one many of the characters in shotgun love songs regret specific moments in their lives moments that parentheses perhaps close parentheses other people may not regret at all. Do you feel regret is a useful emotion? That's part one of question number one. Do you feel regret is a useful emotion, um, Ethan? I
1: have used it to <laughs> manipulate many people in my time. So yes, I feel that regret is a useful emotion. Um, and it has its function. Yeah. The old woman who thinks that I am her husband does die, and leave me her entire fortune, um, it will prove a very useful emotion indeed.
0: Thank you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Good answer. Good answer to uh, question one, part one. Uh, Question one, part two. What do you regret, Ethan? Um, I'm going to say I regret regretting
1: less stuff. Because... (laughs) According to this question, regret is like something that makes us human. And because I don't regret anything, I am less than human, and I regret that I am less than human. This is. uh...
0: Very good. I want to pause there and point out that this is a reading group set of questions. The idea being that we're going to sit in a group of acquaintances, perhaps, reading this book, and we're all going to tell each other what we regret
1: uh assume that the group is closer than that and is like more of a a sort of classic like friend group and this is still a stupid question because it's not about the book the only the only way i can envision like a justification for writing this question this way other than some sort of scientology like auditing thing where you're collecting you know uh, condemnatory Hmm. aspects of members' life to use against them as blackmail later. Um, the only other justification I can see is Mm -hmm. if you, uh, if you just sort of assume that the cliche about book clubs is true, that it's, like, a group of people who just come to, like, drink wine and eat charcuterie, and have not read the book but just want to get away from their crappy kids and spouses for an evening so like this is being written to cater to those people so they have something to discuss <laughs> that like touches on the book but doesn't require them having read the book like that's the only way this question is legitimate
0: love it yep very good um uh, part three of question one holy crap all about regret how much Hold on. of this Hold question this is this is, there? is the last part of this is the last part of question one uh, which characters parentheses and their regrets close parentheses do you identify with Ethan
1: um <laughs> I'm going to say Beth because I too once had a chance to marry a rock and roll star and did just Mess it up and end up married to an extremely good person instead.
0: All right. Very good. I, I, I appreciate your honest and authentic feedback. Thank you. On that. Thank you. Um, all right. I'm not going to really hit a lot of these other questions. Question two, with its two parts, which is do your. Do you disagree or do you agree are the two parts of question two. Um, okay, so is about basically a yes America. or no
1: question. The thing that everyone okay. taught to lead a discussion about literature is immediately taught to not do. Go on.
0: Yeah, uh, it's all about America and what is America. Okay. That's, that's question two. I want to skip that one. I don't care. Um, I'm going to come back to question three because I do want to talk about that one a little bit question four is all about fame does the novel critique frame celebrate fame uh the cult what do you think about the cult of personality in america do you care about celebrity tabloids why or why not i so yeah this was again it's one of those questions that you don't have to read the book you can just talk about the tabloids this
1: reading group (laughs) guide is providing increasing support for my thesis that it was written specifically to not force anyone to ever have read the book it was written to foster discussion for people with the book in their hands who haven't necessarily read the book but could flip to the back and read the reading group guide and use that as an excuse to drink wine and complain about their spouses or whatever
0: yeah yeah that's all you need um question five is asking is the novel sentimental and is it something is it if so is it bad basically um then um question six asks you to pass a moral judgment on some of the characters um it, I'll, I'll read that one yeah, just well on it just to want. support
1: your assertion because i'm sure it's true but it's it's more valid the more direct um, the text is
0: um Here it is. Beth and Leland share one night of romance. This incident happens when neither character is married nor even dating someone. And yet it is enough to unravel lifelong friendships. What do you think about this? Could you relate to the characters and their reactions?
1: Um, I guess my main reaction to that question is that I don't care. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. My reaction is not the point. Yeah. Like that's
1: obviously um, again and I remember this is this is actually a paradigm of analysis that you introduced me to or first suggested to me. Um back when we were both reading and critiquing the Hunger Games, um, for a version of this podcast that hmm. didn't exist yet, uh, but with just the two of us talking to each other <laughs> not into microphones. Um but you talked about how a lot of the things that people were hung up on in the Hunger Games, such as the love triangle or some of the moral dilemma stuff, was like the stuff that the characters were hung up on, but not the stuff that the text itself was hung up on or that was interesting. Yeah. And this feels very much like that. Like that set of questions is very relevant to the characters themselves. Um, and, you know, I guess if you were just like, saying whatever and didn't care about what the text actually cared about like you could you could discuss that question like sure like if we if we did do four episodes on this book i'm sure we could do 20 minutes discussing that set of moral dilemmas but like you clapped a minute ago not the point
0: exactly yes uh we should do the hunger games at some point though
1: yeah we should we should anyway in our in our uh sort of history of doing books that are 10 to 50 years out of date or 10 to 500 years out of date in the case of Don Quixote like Hunger Games would be very appropriate
0: right right um all right the the last one question seven before we get back to question three which is the one that is going to lead into something that I I I don't know if it's an extended discussion that I want to have just an observation that I made in the book anyway question seven um there is a kind of dichotomy in this novel between city and country has your own life been subject to the push-pull of living rural versus living living urban what have you had to sacrifice to live where you live do you see it as a sacrifice again not about the book okay number one yeah
1: not about the book number two um i hate the phrase living ur- rural versus living urban um like if I could, <laughs> if, yeah. If I could take those two phrases and then just toss them into a fire and they would burn away and not ever exist in any part of space-time, I would do it without regret.
0: If I could scratch the eyes out of those phrases and eat them,
1: I would do that. Real dark today, huh, bud? Do we do we need to have like anyway, a, yeah, like a
0: therapy session?
1: <laughs> um. All oh right, that's what this podcast is. All good. Uh, We're good. Anyway, yeah. Um, I mean, as someone who has referenced Titus Andronicus, I shouldn't hit at you for being dark in your metaphors, but um, let's see. So, hate hate living rural versus living urban. Not about the book. There was a third reaction I had to that question. Um, oh, I like I like the order of the questions. What have you had to sacrifice to live where you live? Do you see it as a sacrifice? <laughs> like
2: uh, Because like yeah.
0: Um, you, because if impossible, you haven't answered like, the first These Yeah
1: like question questions one through six were written by someone who just wants to give book clubs something to discuss without like making anyone feel guilty for not having read the book question seven was written by a lawyer who just wants to play gotcha in a theoretical like, like <laughs> trial of some kind um yep and like yeah i don't yeah i don't think there is that dichotomy in this book
0: um no i don't think so i think on the surface One could say maybe, but it's again all in the minds of the characters, not really the book itself. Like, it's something that some of the characters struggle with, but again, it's not the point. Um, it's it's more, it's a broader question than just city versus country. And
1: and we talked about this last episode. It's more the idea of belonging versus not belonging, or being a native versus being an alien um because
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know certain so Kip sure maybe he moves from his his rural wisconsin town to chicago um but like even lee who on the surface you'd think might fall into this um you know someone someone who is a of a, a performer a, a musician like especially when you're up and coming you don't necessarily it's not necessarily like you play in new york los angeles you know chicago and the other major urban centers and then never play anywhere else like um especially the, the the more major you are the more selective you can be the more you can do that but like rock musicians typically or you know other popular musicians like they play in all kinds of cities big cities small cities um Sometimes mm-hmm. small towns, if they're like, if they have a real popular music venue or, you know, are the type of place that draws uh, crowds from sort of a, a specific area, um, like, even even uh, uh, Lee doesn't really fall neatly into that distinction, um, let alone Ronnie, who, like, mm-hmm. rodeos are in often in quite small towns, you know, in the, in the West or in the South or, or other places. Um, Mm -hmm. like it's really not a rural versus urban dichotomy so much as it is like very specifically you're from Little Wing or you're not. Um, and you, you can certainly argue that Little Wing is a microcosm or a, a synecdoche for, um home or belonging i mean there's certainly some some sort of rural living stuff tied up in that including some quite wonderful like distinctions that only someone i suspect who lived in the upper midwest could make um or or things that they could include like a a coyote wandering into lee's living room um would Mm -hmm. seem almost like magic realism in any other uh sort of sort of sure. a location but i know people who've had coyotes wander through their house um it's it's something that has that happens and has happened um you know so there is yeah. some of that but like the rural versus urban is is just bad it's a bad distinction um it even really is. even uh, really think there's a okay so and getting personal in this episode, since that's apparently what this pair of episodes is about. Um, So my wife is from Colorado, and I used, especially at the beginning of our marriage, Mm -hmm. I used to rant to her a lot about the difference between Wisconsin scenery and Minnesota scenery. And I finally provoked her into saying that she couldn't see a difference between the two, which, as someone who considers himself very much a Wisconsin native, (laughs) I found deeply offensive. Until... I spent some time where she had grown up in Colorado and like saw the Rocky Mountains and her, you know, she grew up in Denver and her parents live outside of Denver and at an even higher level, at an even higher elevation. And when you do live on and in mountains, everything else does sort of flatten out by comparison, Um, (laughs) so there is that from sort of an outsider's perspective, but from an insider's perspective, I very much identified with, I believe it's Beth, unless it's Hank, I'm pretty sure it's Beth, who is flying to New York to, uh, um, Lee's wedding. And has a moment where flying out of the Twin Cities, they go back over Wisconsin Mm -hmm. again. And she has this moment where she talks specifically about like, how much different she considers Wisconsin from Minnesota. Um which is a distinction mm-hmm. that to anyone not from either of the two places might seem wild, but I did read it very accusator yep. read that passage very accusatorily at my wife when I first read it. Um <laughs> and like again, whether I'm right or I'm insane and my wife is right, which is usually the case. Um, either way, I would say that, like, that kind of distinction is much more important. The the distinction of where you're from versus where you're not from or versus what is alien to you. And it does not break mm-hmm. down along rural versus urban lines. Um, it breaks down along very different and in some no. ways much harder to distinguish, especially the, like, less you are from... I would say Wisconsin, or I would say like a more a more rural setting. Um, it, it, like, I th- I don't I don't think just people from Wisconsin would identify with this set of distinctions. I think there are various places across the globe that have to do with how one views one's native land or home. Um, that would identify this with Mm -hmm. this set of distinctions but again it's not whether you're from a city or whether you're from a a small town or whatever that is hot garbage
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: very good well one one success that the writer of these reading group questions can claim is that they got us talking.
2: <laughs> yeah, they did.
1: I mean, and I guess if your goal is to get people talking at any cost, including if it's about how wrong you are, they did succeed. So fair right,
0: right, right. Uh, I do. I do want to go back to question three okay. because um, I, while I do have many of the same objections to this question as the rest, I think it does at least direct towards. Some interesting things in the novel. So I'm going to read the question, sure. and we can discuss that a little bit.
1: Have we gotten um, to the off, to the thing you wanted yeah. to spend more time on yet, or are we still on the first thing? The first, what? You said there were two things you wanted to discuss, and you wanted to spend more time on the second one.
0: Oh yeah, we're still on the first. Okay, one. that's what I was. <laughs> Um, yeah Uh, so question three many critics and early readers of shotgun love songs have remarked that it is a novel that explores adult male friendships and yet the one who is arguably at the heart of the story is beth parentheses and she is given her own voice in the novel close parentheses how did you feel about butler's representation of women was it accurate
1: (laughs) um can you read the very beginning of the question again
0: Yes, many critics and early readers of Shotgun Love Songs have remarked that it is a novel that explores adult male friendships. Okay. Um, I
1: honestly, like, especially reading the first half or so of this novel, this was one of the things that I thought I would have more of a problem with, and maybe I still do. I'm not sure. Um... Because if you read TV tropes, the the website, um, or other sort of similar, I guess, popular criticism of pop culture artifacts, um, you'll often see a trope called the Five-Man Band. Um, And an easy way to think of this is Guardians of the Galaxy. So the Mm Five-Man Band usually has... Like, a leader, uh, Star-Lord. Someone called a Lancer, who is, like, the... They're very powerful. They're not the leader, but, like, uh, they sort of enforce the leader's, you know, uh, goals or ideas. Um, then you have someone called the Heavy, mm-hmm. who is, like, the brute force of the group. Um... shoot i can't remember i can't remember what the fourth one is
0: hey karen the smart guy
1: thank you yes the smart guy it is the smart guy um i was going to i was i yelled oh. hey karen because <laughs> she knows this like the back of her hand and i was going to have her say it but nice yeah the smart guy and then the fifth the fifth slot is the chick um <laughs> and, like, this is, like, in an actual band. Um, this is, like, literally the hot chick that you hire to um, hit a tambourine, but also she's hot. Like, that's her whole purpose. Is like, she maybe contributes in a nominal way to the rhythm, mm-hmm. but also she's hot. And, like, you can analyze, uh, um, you know, Hank, Lee, Kip, Ronnie, and Beth as the five-man band. Like this, really, if you wanted to do that analysis, this would break down along classical lines that way. And Beth fulfills the idea of the chick. And, you know, when you're doing more analogy and less sort of literalism, um, Beth, or, or... the the chick often sort of gets swapped between like the leader and the lancer and maybe the smart guy depending on how it breaks down. Um and so Beth even like Mm fulfills that to some extent. Um and so like I guess I guess to me that's the weakest point of a novel that I that I rather liked is the treatment of women. Um Sure. But I would say Nicholas Butler tries, yeah, like, including Lucy yeah. and Felicia, Kip's wife? Um, Felicia, yep. And also including, like, the relationship between Beth and Felicia, like, um, definitely expands on the, the classic five-man band thing. Um to a degree greater than I would expect this novel to do any generation before it was written um, sure but and I don't I don't know how much of a criticism it is um, I guess the the most I would say is that like this the, you, the women get less screen time than the men but if your point is that this is a novel about male friendship like, maybe they get as much screen time as you could expect to have them get without turning it into like the Brothers
0: Karamazov or something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think it is one of the weaker points of the novel. I don't think it's bad. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's certainly weakness. I, I didn't actually go through and check it against the Bechdel test, for instance. Um, the only instances I can think of where women are talking, they are talking about men. So um, my, my knee-jerk reaction is that it might not, but I don't know for That's a really sure. good point, because, um, like, I
1: honestly, and this is something I think about fiction by men after the Bechtel test sort of entered the popular consciousness is, like, sometimes a scene like Beth and Felicia in the bar, you know, um, talking about their, their problems, like, I sometimes suspect that that's something put in specifically to point to and say, Hey, I've passed the Bechtel test. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I've, I've done myself sometimes satirically and sometimes just out of guilt. Um, but sure. That said, uh, yeah, I, okay. And, and this goes back to my sort of Jane Austen analogies from the last episode. Um, you know, Alison Bechtel herself has said um, that, like, the Bechtel test is not a be-all, end-all, depending on the story or the type of story. Um, yeah. uh, so, and, and in a novel where as we've sort of established, like, the central themes and ideas besides being male friendship are marriage, like maybe it makes sense that everyone's right. talking about um, sort of about right the, well, the other the significant others in their lives um
0: and that's that's the other thing too like yes the women are pretty much always talking about men but also the men are pretty much always talking about yeah, women exactly. so um <laughs> it, it it goes back that way too which so that's why like again i'm not I don't think it's bad, but there, um, a couple observations that I noticed about this. Number one, um, when you think about Beth's character and her physical appearance, how would you describe her? Um, if I had to do it in general terms, in general terms, if I had
1: to do it in a word, it would be
0: hot. Okay, I'm glad you said that, because yes, that's exactly how she's depicted. And yet, how does she think about herself? Um, usually,
1: in, or at least fairly often, in comparison to other women, and usually unfavorably.
0: hmm Yes, right? Like, um, the the only time that she starts thinking about her appearance favorably is when she's wearing one of Felicia's yeah. dresses. Um to i think was that to to lee's wedding Some that she wore yeah. that um anyway it doesn't really matter where right. or why but la- she she wore this dress that she's like i would never pick this for myself um this seems absurd to wear but then she wears it and she's like mm, i feel right. good and <laughs> um like she spends a whole bunch of time trying to to get fit to fit into dresses and things to 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 look good for going out to new york and all that she starts running and exercising more um when in the way she's described she is described very attractively um and the work that she's putting into trying to look attractive when she doesn't feel that she looks attractive um i i'm sure there's a name for that trope but it's a trope (laughs) Um, but also
1: it's uh you know it's very real too um
0: oh yeah definitely
1: i i don't know how to say this without coming off weird in one way or the other but like i've been friends with a lot of women in my day who um are very attractive i would say uh yeah i'm telling your wife um I mean, this does start with, like, one of my best friends in high school who did go on to have a successful career as a New York City fashion model. Um, So, like, you know, in in those, like... And very few of them, when they compare themselves to other women, have ever thought they were attractive. Um, Some of them haven't ever thought they were attractive. Like, I've been in a position where I've had to, like try to convey to certain female friends of mine, like, you are very attractive. I'm not asking you out, but you're very attractive. Like, um, that's something I felt the need to Mm -hmm. do to, like, boost uh, certain friends' confidence, or whatever. Uh, Some of them sometimes are very confident in the eyes of men. Like, they know that they're attractive to men.
0: Mm.
1: Um, but quite often but even that with with you know there there have been women who i would look at and say you're obviously very attractive and you have to know that like who've said like i don't i don't think i'm i don't think men find me that that attractive and um so there is definitely and it it probably comes down to a very human condition um related to like self-esteem or self-perception but uh you're right yeah. that Beth not seeing herself as attractive or as that attractive is a trope, but I also don't think it's unrealistic.
0: Hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah, I I think you're you're probably right about that, and that's like, um. The 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 other observation that I had about the portrayal of women in the novel also kind of falls along those lines too where it's like okay this is more or less falling into a trope but also a trope that's yeah. based in reality um and that's that's something too where like I, I these observations are not necessarily judgments on the book they're just observations that i'm making right. that feed into this discussion a little bit and I, I'll, I'll point out the the second one that i i, I noticed and this one's more specific um on page 161, we're in the middle of a uh, sure. Lee chapter, and he is um, telling uh, Hank that he's getting a divorce. Um, and he is weeping in the sink. <laughs> yes. Um, And uh, then this, this chapter here, at the bottom of page 161, Henry set the phone down quietly on its cradle. I heard him there behind me, right behind me, but he did not touch me, and I wanted him to, though I understood why he did not, why one grown man does not touch another, even if it is the right thing to do. All right, so you've got that. And then page 175, we're in the middle of a Beth chapter, and Felicia is telling Beth that she and Kip are separating. And so Felicia is now right. weeping, I think, in her kitchen. Um, or no, it's not in the kitchen. It's the VFW. That's where they are. Um, and... Um, then Beth in the middle of a paragraph in the middle of page um, uh, 175 I was unsure whether or not to touch her back in comfort but then decided to rubbing her shoulder blades and neck much as I might rub my own children's bodies so these two very similar situations Mm -hmm. only one is with men and one is with women play out in the opposite way where the men because they're men don't and can't touch each other the women because they're women can and do touch each other um and it's like it's needed for both, but it's a uh, it's just a, a a difference of of tropes of social expectations of relationships which even there though like the relationship of of Hank and Lee at, at that early stage is much stronger than the relationship of Beth and Felicia at this point um they you know. Hank and Lee right. knew, have known each other, been best friends for years, and Felicia and Beth right. are just the wives of friends. And if you want in this town, good. Um, so, but like,
1: I was—I was, yeah. was going to say—if you wanted to make a statement about male male nature versus female nature, you could do it in sort of an uncomfortable way with uh, some of these, but. Um, to me, and maybe yeah. this is as much about me being close to the source as anything else, but this reads very culturally correct. Um, in that, like,
2: mm-hmm. I don't know,
1: I was born and raised in, well, in in a in an area in an era of tension um, between uh, both, like city versus versus rural i was i was raised in a town that was almost a suburb of a big city but still had some real farm town roots um and in an era that was sort of emerging from a very austere way that men related to each other into something that was maybe free or freeing itself of that um but this the like that distinction that you that you point out like reads very real to me again in that uh um like oh yeah these are these are people who probably if they existed in real life would be 10 years older than than you or I uh michael and um this these mm-hmm. th- this distinction like it, it reads very real for those those people if i considered them as real people um just in the sense that um again sort of like you said men were taught men are taught to be very self-contained not to express that emotion where women are sort of given permission to express Mm -hmm. the emotion more so um and i think later in the novel in interesting ways that like that breaks down um that some of the later scenes with okay. uh, Lee and Hank, for example, like they start touching each other, not in, in mm-hmm. sort of like sexual ways in any way, but definitely in ways that are transgressive of the uh, culture that they'd have been raised in. Well, and
0: that's, yeah, well, and you're kind of hitting on exactly like the, 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 the cultural issue like just even saying the words touching each other sounds sexual but it doesn't have to be and that's that's where like to a male mind (laughs) in our culture it sounds wrong (laughs) Um, like (laughs) you is is the reaction um when that's not what it's about at all yeah Uh, which
1: it's interesting yeah uh, i don't know this just
0: <laughs> let's yeah fix let's fix our culture that. ethan let's fix um,
1: it. it 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 actually was making me think of a discussion that karen and i sort of have ongoing but it came up recently because um, i've been listening to not to plug another podcast for free but dan carlin's hardcore histories series about world war one um and just the incredible hmm. like almost unprecedented set of historical traumas that world war one introduced into both western europe and america um and karen talked about something that she had read indicating that before world war one male friendship was much more physical often um and this this is reflected Mm, mm uh just for one example in um the lord of the rings uh which was written by someone who was raised in a pre-world war one culture writing in a post-world war one culture but um frodo and sam in lord of the rings have this very close male friendship that there's no uh legitimate reason to think is sexual in any way shape or form um but to a modern reader it almost reads that way in that like there are times where they hold hands, like, they kiss each other on the forehead, um, they, like, cuddle, and, and like, it's mm-hmm. even in the text it's, like, for warmth or out of necessity or whatever, but, like, there's this very physical relationship that to a modern mm-hmm. audience could read only either sexual or you're denying that, you're, that this is your sexuality. Like, those are the only two ways we can read it now. Um, that isn't necessarily either yeah. of those things. Um, and Karen's, uh, Karen's positing was that maybe if between World War I, World War II, and the Vietnam War, if every generation of fathers had had a large injection of post-traumatic stress disorder and other, um, you know, psychological mm. reasons that made them not want to potentially touch anybody forever that like maybe physically men would be very different from each other or different different from the way that they are now um from in other words that there's not an inherently sexual charge to men sort of touching each other physically which again like i laugh because it sounds wild it sounds like a wild assertion for me to make um but I don't think it necessarily should be.
0: I've had similar thoughts though, and I yeah, I I think it's it's absolutely legitimate. I mean, it's still hypothetical; we can't know for certain, but sure, um, I think it makes sense. (laughs) Um, yeah. Well, we we spent forty five minutes on part on the first thing I wanted to talk about that I did. (laughs) <laughs> I I honestly expected more will or say, less the same thing. But the second thing that I want to talk about, and the thing I wanted to spend more time on, but it's okay if we don't spend that much time on it. We can maybe hammer out the the main points of it real quick. Though, I want to
1: talk about. I want to say yeah. Go ahead. That, like these questions, as like crappy as they mostly were, did end up bringing up most of the things that I like sort of had thought that I wanted to talk about. So there's that at mm-hmm. least. Uh, for our comfort
0: right again they the the merit of the reading group questions are that they did kind of hit points that make us talk yeah even if a lot of the talk was these questions are crap if,
1: if um, we're willing to do the work that the reading group guide should have done it's a good reading group guide.
0: right there you go. There you go. Very good. We should one day we should come up with a rating system for reading group guys. Oh my
1: gosh. Um, a one to ten system <laughs> that we only give ones and twos on? I'm I'm actually in for that. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I'd give this one a two. Yeah, I'd give a, it a two amazing. out of one to two. <laughs> or out of ten. <laughs> Either one really. Out of ten. Yeah. Out, out of the one to two within a one out of ten, it's got a yeah, two. Exactly. There we go. Sorry, go on, go go on. Um, So I want to talk about the title and the many facets that connect to the title of this book, Shotgun Love Songs. Um, Now, when I saw the book and saw the title Shotgun Love Songs, I wasn't totally sure what to expect from that. It didn't necessarily evoke anything for me um you do find out later why it's called shotgun love songs it's because that's the title of the first album uh that lee records and releases yeah um the title that he gives to to that album and he explains it a little bit um being in connection to the idea of shotgun weddings um that you know you've got this shotgun held up to to your head so you better marry this girl and so he's got these these shotgun love songs that he's he's holding the gun up to his own head to finish these songs um and i don't know does he ever make it explicit that they are love songs about beth i think to an extent he he at least heavily implies that some if not all of the songs in the album yeah. are about beth he no he basically said um it, i think Okay, I, I couldn't remember for sure if, if if he did that or not, but yeah. So once again, Beth is kind of the the linchpin of right. of the novel, um, in in that regard. But okay, so the title of the book comes from the title of an album that one of the characters put out, and I want to know why that is the title. Before you answer, I want to draw in a couple other um exhibits here that i don't know if they weigh on it or not uh so i don't know if they weigh on it or not but these exhibits um kind of connect to a names okay. with michael but not really um, I, I don't think i don't think i can do a full names with michael on this book uh, but this there point are a couple recording uh, right <laughs> um, <laughs> but okay so talking about lee specifically his stage name is corvus Right. Um, that we find out that not, not there's not a ton of detail about, you know, even the style of music that he's releasing. Um, like, it could be country or a rock sort of thing. I, you never really, really find out what exactly it is. I mean, I, I think say, they say he's a rock star or something. Yeah, I, I want to
1: say they refer to him as a rock star, but that's, even that but is a that fairly
0: vague But that can term. be kind of a loose term. Yeah. Anyway, um, but Corvus means crow right, right? Um, so there's some symbolism with with crows um, crows are harbingers of death um, but also of wisdom um, and their storyteller well no that's Ravens um, but okay uh, the, the there's some symbolism with especially some darker symbolism with crows sure. um, that comes across here and so there there are a couple of instances in the book of near death experiences ronnie has one of the big ones when he's lost in the blizzard um and he's singing one of corvus's songs um and so you get the impression well he might die at this point this might be uh, and and really right. the the text of the book could take you that way right uh, where ronnie dies um as a result of that um but then uh, lee has uh the the last one with the the shot uh the the bullet in his leg Um, where it seems like he might die from this. He might bleed out because they're not going to a hospital and they're not going to a hospital and they're not going to a hospital. Right. Um, And so the book could end with Lee dying. You never know. Um, But uh, I also was sure that Lee was not going to die because of another animal symbolism in the book, and that's of the coyote (laughs) um, that, that makes a connection with Lee because a coyote... Um, and we hinted at this, I think, in the previous episode. Yeah, in the previous episode a little bit um, with Lee's character. But a coyote is a symbol of rebirth um, mm. and, like, a renewal of life. Um, I'm not totally sure why it is that way, um, except that it it um, kind of feeds on carrion, you know? Right. Um, that, you know, it's got that connection to death, so it starts being... Um, a symbol of death, but then the life that comes after death as well. So because of that, I was pretty sure that Lee was not actually going to die from that gunshot wound. Um, Now, that being there and Lee being kind of the last figure described in the book, as well as the first figure described in the book, how does that all connect to make the title of this book shotgun love songs (laughs) there question asked
1: um i feel like you're looking for a very specific answer that you already have and i'm going to answer that i have no idea like all the connections you're making make sense to me but i i cannot get there especially not in the next okay however many minutes we have
0: we don't have a lot of minutes and I don't honestly have my own perfect answer to it um, except that Lee is more or less the character that the rest of the characters are thinking about constantly um, and the one character that Lee is thinking about constantly is Beth um, I tried uh, early on marking the chapters uh, as like whose chapter it was and who are they talking about the first chapter is hank talking about lee uh, and then i think the next chapter is lee talking about beth um and like that's more or less the way it goes that every chapter that anyone else has uh is about lee and lee's chapters are all about beth uh in some way or other um and so that that obsession with with lee because he he does seem to be the one who has transcended this town and i think on a certain level, that's what this book is about. I mean, that whole idea of belonging and, and otherness is is tied up in there. Um, but Lee has escaped or made something of himself. It's something you know. It, it gives the people in the town something to talk about, something to right. be proud of, uh, much as they're proud of of Ronnie um, for his his rodeo uh, adventures. Um, but then you know he's and and it's that that pride is interesting because. It's the pride of someone from this town who has made something of themselves, right. which implies that there's meaning outside of the town itself, even though the town is frequently just obsessed with itself. Um, so, okay. So, with that that whole idea, then you find out what's the obsession of the obsession, and that's Beth, and that's the shotgun love songs as as Lee is trying to discover Shoot. himself, um, and that I think. is as close to a perfect answer as I can get that at the crux of this novel is this question of who am I wherever I might live? Do I have to live in this town to be who I am? And will this town accept me after I've left? Uh, Will my old friends still be my friends? Will our relationship stay the same? How can we still have value as that changes and and such? And that's more or less Lee's journey, um, which is just about as close to a plot arc that as you can get in this novel. um, Like, it's not plot-heavy, which isn't a sure. problem. It doesn't have to be. But that's maybe as, as close to a central plot as I think you can find in this novel, as Lee's own arc of seeking that belonging, which we're back to what we were talking about yeah. in the first episode of this podcast. Uh,
1: so I have two thoughts about that that I probably don't have time for. Um, okay. Number one is that... Uh, this goes back to the the only thought about the, like, female characters in this novel that I didn't share already, which is that y- you can take this novel one of two ways. You can take it as a novel about male friendship, in which case the portrayal of female characters is about mm-hmm. as good as you could expect. Um... In the sense that if it's a novel about male friendship and it's really a novel about these four male friends then the female characters have all the screen time you could sort of give them while still being a coherent non-rambling sort of novel um, mm. it, however if you if it if you wanted to be a novel about a group of friends maybe it falls short of the female characters in that it sort of pigeonholes them into certain tropes and into mm-hmm. certain arcs that really only serve to support the male characters. Um, and again, some of those, as I even sort of mentioned earlier, some of those tropes and arcs are very real and very, like, um, they're, they're, they're not, they're they're tropes, but they're not, like, artificial necessarily. Um, the second, Mm -hmm. uh, thing about that, I have now forgotten, um, remind me of the last thing that you said.
0: (laughs) Um, this, oh, that, uh, Lee's search for self-identity and meaning is the central so, arc of the novel something like that and this know, probably <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> um,
1: this goes back to uh an interesting part that i'd been meaning to bring up and i hadn't gotten around to it and so of course i'll do it right here at the end when i have no time to um and that involves who the character of lee is based on and this is partly to do with okay again, that interview with with, um, Nicholas Butler at the end of the book, uh, at least at the end of my edition. I assume you probably have it too. Um, But he talks about Lee being partly based on the character of Justin Vernon. Um, And Justin Vernon is... Oh, yes. ...sort of lead and also, like, only, maybe, um, person responsible for the musical group bony bear uh which if you're from wisconsin looks Mm -hmm. like it's it's Bon iver but i think it's a french pronunciation so it's bony bear um who was from eau claire wisconsin which is like the uh, probably closest big town to um uh to little wing Um, like, I think that's specifically mentioned at one point when Lee comes back from New York and he has, like, a storage unit in Eau Claire because that's, like, the big city and they have to go there or whatever. Um, but Justin Vernon, in real life, did experience a breakup, spend a winter, like, locked in a log cabin or or something, like, near Eau Claire but out in the country and just, like, put together an album of songs, um not because he thought he would go anywhere with it, but just because he, like, couldn't do anything else out of his despair. And this album, like, went triple, mega, super-duper platinum or whatever and, like, launched him as an international music figure. Um, To the point that, like, speaking of, like, roots versus rootlessness or whatever, when Karen and... When my wife and I were in Dublin... Um Bonivare was playing at one of the big theaters in Dublin. I don't remember if it was Vicker Street or one of the other ones. But we were like, he's from Eau Claire. We we're from Madison. Like, wouldn't it be great if we went to his concert in Dublin? Um Which feels like something that would happen in Shotgun hmm. Love Songs, honestly. Uh But so like yeah. I don't know. The only like problematizing or answer that i have for um your question about him or about shotgun love songs as the central sort of thing is the fact that this is like the one most uh, i guess real world um overlay on to the novel if that makes sense um Mm -hmm. and that what you're detecting there as far as that might have to do with the fact that this is the most real sort of thing or sort of figure in some senses that happens in the in the novel um and if what i said just doesn't make sense both to michael or the gentle listener i would i guess i would direct you to that interview that i assume is at the back of most if not all editions of this book um and uh nicholas butler might explain it better more coherently than i have
0: gotcha all right well i think that's a a good place to uh end our discussion um and ethan this is the the fourth episode in this set of four episodes and neither of us lost lost. and you know what that means means we both lost so, you know, in a certain sense, the, the gentle listener might be rooting for us both to succeed now because that means we both lose uh, and that means double the punishment. Um, so um, I, I forget if we've set a precedent for who gets to punish whom first. Um, I don't
1: remember, honestly.
0: Well, should I give you your punishment first, me being the host and you being the guest? Or would you sure. as the guest like to take that priority? All right. I'll, I'll punish you first. All right. All right. right um, I know you Thank haven't you. unpacked all your books yet, but do you have books available to you? I have If not, it's okay. Here.
1: I have many books available. I just don't have any necessarily specific books available.
0: Um So I'm gonna send you a link. It's it's familiar. Okay. I'm going to send it to you in the uh, Hangouts chat here. So you can go ahead and click on that. Yeah. Shall I um,
1: compare you to a summer day? You that's that's a the...
0: Um, so what you're going to do here, Ethan, um, I want you to read this whole sonnet. It's sonnet 18
2: Yes.
0: Um, from Shakespeare. Um, I want you to read this whole sonnet, but in each line I want you to switch two words. They don't have to be adjacent words. Uh, They could be the first word and the last word. They could be two random words somewhere in the middle. I want you to swap them around and otherwise read the poem as it is.
1: Okay, you cut out for a second. You want me to take two words in each line and swap them with each other?
0: Swap them with each other, yes. They don't have to be any particular words. They don't have to be next to each other. However you want to do it. You have some poetic license.
1: All right, here I go. Shall I compare day to a summer's thee Thou art and more lovely more temperate Rough may do shake the barling buds of wind And summer's date hath all too short a lease Sometimes hot too the eye of heaven shines And often Mm -hmm. is his dimmed complexion gold and every from fair fair sometime declines <laughs> by nature's chance or changing course untrimmed. But thy fade summer shall not eternal, nor lose fair of that possession thou owest, nor shall brag death thou wanderest in his shade when in lines eternal to time thou growest. So long as men can see, or eyes can breathe, so long lives this, and this gives to life.
0: <laughs> uh, good. I
1: think I like went beyond my mandate in a few cases there, but hopefully it was close.
0: In a few of those, yeah, you you, you swapped more than just two words and and shifted things around a little bit more. But that's okay. That's all right.
1: In my defense, it it was funnier Uh that way.
0: Uh-huh. Sure. All right, Michael. Yes. I am also sending... There, so your vocal exercise was a love song.
1: Thank you. (laughs) I am sending you a link, which hopefully you have gotten. Oh, good. Yes. It is a monologue. Since we established several episodes ago that I could and would only ever be talking about Ireland. Um, uh-huh. This is a monologue from a play by John Millington Singh, one of the most famous uh-huh. famous native Irish playwrights. Famous Iris. Famous <laughs> Iris. Plarch, plarch um It's from his play The Playboy of the Western World, which I'm tempted to give the plot synopsis of, but I'm not going to for time's sake. Uh, but the gentle listener can discover it for themselves but I just want you so this is just Uh a monologue cutting like something you might read as a you know audition piece or something and I Mm -hmm. would like you to read this monologue in your best Irish accent
0: Uh, okay (laughs) yikes up to the day I killed my father there wasn't a person in Ireland who knew the kind I was and there, drinking, waking, eating, sleeping, a quiet, simple, poor fellow with no man l- giving me heed, and after, I, after toiling, moiling, digging, dodging from the dawn till dusk with never a sight of joy, or sport, saving only when I'd be abroad in the dark night poaching rabbits on hills, for I was a devil to poach. I'd be as happy as the sunshine of St. Martin's Day, watching the light passing the north or the patches of fog, till I'd hear the r- rabbits start to screech, and I'd go running in the furs, then when I'd had my when I'd my full share I'd come walking down where you'd see the ducks and geese stretched sleeping on the highway of the road, and before I'd passed the dung hill, I'd hear himself snoring out. A loud, lonesome snore he'd be making all times, the while he was sleeping. And he a man be raging at all times, the while he was waking like a gaudy officer you'd hear cursing and damning and swearing oaths after drinking for weeks, rising up in the red dawn or before it maybe and going out into the yard as naked as an ash tree in the moon of May, and shying clods against the visage of the stars, till he'd put the fear of death into the bandwins and the screeching sows. No, I didn't pronounce that word <laughs> right. He'd sons and daughters walking all the great states and territories of the world, and not a one of them to this day, but would say there seven curses on him, and a rousing up to let a cough or sneeze maybe in the deadness of night. I'm telling you, he never gave peace to any, saving when he'd get two months or three or be locked in the asylums for battering peelers or assaulting men. It was a bitter life he led me, till I did up a Tuesday and have his skull.
1: All right. And I will say, uh, I wouldn't say your accent was great, but I wouldn't say it was terrible. (laughs) So. Oh, thank you. uh, It's probably better than you expected to do, based on what I've heard you say about your own accent. Definitely. So.
0: Definitely uh, definitely better than I, I, I planned or expected <laughs> to do.
1: Very good. Uh,
0: all right. Um, so now that the punishments are out of the way, let's do ratings. Uh, so, Ethan, would how would you rate the Glenrothes 12-year Speyside Single Malt Scotch Whiskey matured only in sherry-seasoned oak casks and bottled at natural color on a scale of one to five stars? Oh, my
1: gosh. Beautiful? Beautiful is how I'd rate it? <laughs> um... I okay. really, really like this one. It was like, just like, there's a lot of stuff going on, but it was really well balanced. Um, mm-hmm. I give it a solid 4.5, which I think is equivalent to the highest I've rated any of our scotches.
0: Very good. Um, I'm also giving four point five, and I, I, I wrote it down before you said yours, <laughs> so we I'm not copying you. Um, anyway, yes, like you say, very balanced. Um, it's got quite a range of flavors. You've yeah. got fruits, you've got spices, you've got a little bit of smoke and, and some some um, uh, salty yeah. stuff in there too. It's it's really really interesting. There's like a um, mustiness and, and dynamic. To it but not in a bad way,
1: which is probably the first time I've said that set of words in that order.
2: Sure.
0: Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's got some, some, some depth that just dissolves all over your tongue and coats the whole thing. Um, and then has more flavors coming out in the midst of all that. It's, it's one of the most interesting scotches I have tasted. Uh, and that's more or less how I rate my scotches is how interesting yeah, it tastes sure. and this one is very very interesting so yes 4.5 for both of us great um rate the book shotgun love songs buy borrow or forget about it ethan um
1: I guess I'm gonna say a light buy uh it certainly okay. wasn't a transcendent piece of literature but and I might be prejudiced towards it because it's like One of the pieces of literature that I've read in my entire life that is, like, the closest to skillfully expressing a lot of things that I feel about my own home. Um, Mm. So on that basis, and on the basis that Nicholas Butler is a living author who, um, if you want to see more of what he kind of does, like you want to support him on those two bases, I'm going to say bye.
0: Very good. I have some similar feelings about it. Um, I think it is very familiar um, in a lot of ways. Um, And, and I think Nicholas Butler has some interesting things that he's doing in here, but I'm not quite going to rate it a buy. I'm going to rate it a borrow um, because I'm interested to see more of what he does. I want to maybe read another of his books to see if I'm invested uh, if if another book of his winds up being essentially more of the same, then I've lost interest if it's something that um, he shows his his creative muscles and, and actually branches out where, where there are a few places where like I'm, I, I have questions about how intentional he is sure. with certain things. Um, or if it was an accident, if, if he shows that it's all accidental, then I've lost interest. But if he shows more intentionality and I can see that, um, in, in more works, then I, it's, it's risen in my regard. And so that's more or less where I'm leaving the, the listener with this too, is I'm going to say borrow, read this, and then maybe read another book by him, uh, and, you know, borrow another book by him because it's, it's definitely not a forget about it. It's, it's a book that I think does have a great deal of value just in itself. Um, but whether you want to have this book on your shelf, um, I'm not completely sold on. At that this seems point very yet. fair to me. Um, I think I want to explore that uh, more. I do have
1: my question mm. is, what if he's Wisconsin Garrison Keeler, where his next books are essentially <laughs> about like the same setting or the same culture, the same like. Mm. Um, area but they explore some other aspect of that area which which like yeah i don't have a problem with that for you
0: yeah i i think that would be fantastic if if he's got that sense of place where it's you know small town wisconsin even if it was still like essentially little wing if it wasn't called little wing but if it was essentially that um, or if it was called Little Wing, whatever. If he, if he, it can explore more characters and more themes. Um, but like, if it's and, Little Wing,
1: and but and instead it's fill a story things about out more. like the old guy who runs the John Deere dealership, and his granddaughter yeah comes back from the Twin Cities pregnant, and like, sure, like that's that's not that I'm borrowing tropes from the Orchardist or anything. i read that. Like that's.
0: <laughs> sure um yeah no i i think um you know you talked in uh, our episodes about the orchardist about the midwestern yeah. novel um which we didn't really talk about in this book at all but um, shockingly you know, it, enough it, it because have, this book actually yeah. fits in this with
1: is, everything about that like that oh, academic sure. study that i read and i meant to bring it up yeah but, as always that would be in our secret third episode
0: right right um but yeah, so I, I, I think it's I'm 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 vacillating on whether he's um a really good author who can do a lot even in a, a limited sort of focus or if or he's more a one-trick of one trick
1: pony of, who got lucky
0: yeah uh, who's like a one trick pony who just reskins the same novel over and over again essentially. I don't think yeah. he's the latter, um, or at least not all the way on, on the ladder. I, I want to see more of what he does before I commit, I guess. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, that seems fair to me. That's, that's, that's my reaction. Um, yeah. Uh, also, uh, I didn't bring this up, but the cover of the book has a review from People Magazine and it has four stars on it. I don't know how people rates their books, if it's one to four stars if it's a five star scale it seems pretty odd to have a four star review on the cover yeah. of your book um <laughs> anyway it's neither here nor there rate the pairing of <laughs> scotch and book Ethan perfect match pretty good match slight mismatch total mismatch
1: um I would say pretty good match like the the uh like herbal and grassy and like uh Some word other than rural notes of the scotch (laughs) go really well. Um, There are some, like, fruity notes to this one that don't go as well Mm -hmm. with this as they did with the Orchardist, um, Mm. which is what bumps it down to a pretty good match. But, like, I could definitely see Lee bringing back a bottle of this and sharing it with Hank and both of them being quite content to while away sort of a late summer evening on a porch uh, with the scotch. So
0: yeah um i'm also gonna say a pretty good match um i think for for a novel set in wisconsin you need something that's got a lot more brandy notes Um, (laughs) but uh i I think it does i think it does pretty well Uh, i mean it's it's matured in sherry casks um which is it's not the same as brandy but again it's like a fortified wine sort of thing yeah it's it's Um, definitely close that uh it's yeah it's close it's close um yeah, so pretty good match. Um, yeah. I wound up being a lot closer to you on this than I expected to in a lot of these things. Anyway, <laughs> um, all right. Uh, what are we reading next, Ethan? We're coming know, up to a Mongo book.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I feel like you're supposed to say this since you're the host. Am I? As it were. Oh,
0: yeah, I suppose that makes sense. Um, I mean, I'll introduce um, it if next, you want, gentle but. listener.
1: Go ahead.
0: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce it and I'm gonna give you space to correct me on it. Um okay. next gentle listener, we are going to be reading and discussing The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy by Lawrence Stern. Do you have anything to say, Ethan? Uh you
1: cut out for a second, but you said the life and opinions of Tristram Shandy gentlemen, yes.
0: I didn't say gentlemen. I missed that. Okay, okay. I got close. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> See, I knew you would correct me. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, so this is, is it, it's classified as a Victorian novel, right?
1: No. Um.
0: No, it's not Victorian? What's the, life, what's the year on that?
1: The Life and Opinions of Tristram Chandy Gentlemen came out in nine volumes, starting in the year 1759 and ending oh, okay. in the year so, yeah. 1767. Um, okay, so it's more romantic. It's, it would be, I'm not even sure. I want, because... It might be a Georgian novel technically, because um, mm. like Jane Austen would be considered a Regency novel, but I don't think the Regency started True. until the late the late seventeen nineties, if not the early eighteen hundreds, um, and Victoria would be after that. So, uh, in... well,
0: yeah, it's it's close. Yeah, uh, Romantic literature began late seventeen hundreds. Okay. i I think this is technically before before that though yeah
1: um in like american sort of literature programs or english programs it would be covered in like a class that would sometimes be called romantics and victorians um sure or else a class that would be called like like 17th to 18th century english novel something like that like Hmm. um one or the other of these catch all terms for like before Victoria before even like the Jane Austen like well made novel, like sort of sort of when we were inventing what the novel was, um right, which is weird that Tristram Shandy is a postmodern novel written in this era, but um <laughs> I'm sure we'll discuss that <laughs> at length on the actual shows about it,
0: yes. We will get there. So, yes, gentle listener, please read along uh, with The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman by Lawrence Stern. uh, And give us your feedback. Go to tapesterradio.org. Click on the contact section. uh, Put Scotch Talk in the subject line and send us your ideas and thoughts. Um, Also, go to Twitter. Talk to us at Room with Scotch or on Facebook in the Tapester Radio Tap House. If you request to join that group, we will let you in. Uh, I don't know. We'll let you in. Um, whoever you are, whatever walk of life you're from, whether you're from the country or the city, we'll let you in. Um, we'll also do your homework. Uh, and our sta- our firm, very firm stance on plagiarism is that we condone it because it's funny. So go to slash scotchcast Uh, the form is right there near the top of the page. Fill it out. Send us your homework. We will do our best on it, and you will get it back. And then you can turn it into your teacher and be locked up by the flash. <laughs> and it'll be funny. Um, yes. If you like this podcast, check out our other shows on the tapestry radio network intermission us play fiasco and Pokemon rollout. Uh, intermission is the backstage drama podcast. Us plays fiasco is the fiasco actual play RPG podcast. And Pokemon rollout is the Pokemon tabletop United actual play RPG podcast. Um, lot of details on all those shows anyway yep. rate and review us and all the shows that you like on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify wherever you get your podcasts from uh and that will help to get other people to find the podcast and help us to feel good about ourselves when we see those reviews <laughs> and then we'll be happy um yeah so Ethan, where can they find you
1: i am at bjartlet on twitter that's b-j-a-r-t-l-e-t-t i don't tweet very often but I'll probably see it sooner rather than later if you tweet at me. Um I also have a webcomic called Pin Porter Girl Detective. I write the script for it. Uh I have a partner who is a very brilliant artist um who writes the or who draws. Basically does everything other than writing the script um which to <laughs> me is like the skillful part of it. Uh Mm-hmm. It's a webcomic about a twelve-year-old girl detective um, in a film noir fairy tale world. Um, she is very brilliant, uh, and would just like destroy both of us if she came on this podcast. Um, so that's fun, uh, and yeah, if you wanna, mm-hmm. if that sounds appealing, it's pinporterdetective dot com. Or Google Pin Porter Girl Detective and you should get there.
0: Perfect. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. So you can follow me and chat with me there. Uh, And until next time, gentle listener, just remember, it's our party and we'll cry if we want to. I'm owning that one this time. Excellent. We want to.